You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Today we're actually going to be starting a four-part series uh, leading up to Advent called True and Better, where we look at different characters within Scripture and we compare them to Jesus and how Jesus is a better version of what they represent. And so today to kick things off, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there. If you find yourself without a Bible this morning, that should be totally fine. There should be a Bible somewhere underneath a seat around you. And if you don't own a Bible, please consider that a gift from us to you because, again, we value uh, the Word so highly and we want to be able to extend that offer. Again, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And when you get there, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. Again, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Providence, hear the Word of the Lord. Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following uh, one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that... As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Promise, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. All right, well, good morning. If I don't know you, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I started off the early gathering with some soccer jokes. They didn't go over well. So uh, I'm going to skip those, but just say that we're clearly lacking in discipleship here at the church, so we will, uh, we'll work on that moving forward. So if you're a guest with us this morning, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, it's uh, always an honor when you choose to spend your time with us here, and our hope always is the same, that through everything that we do, uh, we'll make much of, much of Jesus, we'll make much of Christ, and make much of the gospel. And, and through that, you'll want to link arms with us and come into membership as we pursue making the gospel unignorable in, in our towns, our areas where we live. So I don't know if you caught it, but Scott just told us for the first time in 2022 to open your Bibles to something that wasn't in Exodus. Uh, that's pretty incredible. We talked about that sermon series toward the end of, I guess it would have been uh, last year leading into this year and uh, had a lot of questions about it just because the reality is most of us or a lot of us will start a Bible reading plan on January 1st and we'll get to the, the temple stuff in Exodus and we'll bail and go find a 90-day reading plan of the New Testament just because it's, it's a little more, uh, a little easier to get through. But, but we did it. We did 49 sermons through the book of Exodus so far and we're going to finish off uh, the last four of this year entering into the, the Advent season. So 
Scott said that. Kyle talked about it a little bit. If you're new to Providence or maybe you're just new to church in general and, and don't know what the Advent season is, I mean, the idea is that during Advent, there's this time where we purposely focus on the coming of Christ. You'll hear Christians in different sects talk about two different Advents, the first and second Advent. And what we celebrate now during the season is the first Advent when we're observing uh, during the Christmas season, we reflect back on the incarnation of Christ coming as a, as a baby for the remission of sins for those of us who was who would believe and we also talk about the second advent where we longingly hope and wait for the second coming of Christ when he comes back to for his church to 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 take us and, and to be with him I mean the word advent in and of itself means arrival right so that, that's what we're doing for the next four weeks we're looking back and we're celebrating the arrival of Christ on Christmas so this year because of our work in Exodus we felt it was prudent to continue in that Old Testament theme, and use the Advent season to highlight Christ's fulfillment of the Old Testament patriarchs. So this morning, we'll kick that off by looking at Christ as the true and better Adam. So if you haven't already, open in your Bibles, if you, if you can, to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll jump right into it. So, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time that you've, you've given us together this morning to gather, to, uh, to sit under your word, Lord, and to, to learn more about who you are and what that means in light of who we are. God, I pray that, that distractions would, would fade away in our minds. God, the troubles of last week, the troubles of yesterday, even in most cases, the troubles of this morning, God, we'd be able to, to lay those down for a short time in order to focus on, on you and, and your glorious gospel this morning. God, I pray that you would, um, you would change hearts and minds in the room, God, that you would use your word to, to bring those who don't know you into relationship with you, God, and those of us that do know you, I pray that you would help us to understand you more and learn more about who you are. That's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a little context on what we're doing right now in Romans. Paul is writing these words in the form of a letter to, a Christ, to the Christian church in Rome. And based on some of the things that he says in the first four and a half chapters of the letter, we get an idea that the church in Rome was well established at this time, right? There were both Jews and Gentiles there who had uh, made the decision to follow Christ and they had heard the gospel message and they were, they were moving forward with that. What we also find in those first four and a half chapters is evidences that there was a bit of tension between the Jews and Gentiles during that time. And that's, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get deeper into the sermon. But um, Paul writes specifically in, in this context to, to go to, to send a letter to those folks to address that tension and to refocus their minds on the gospel, which is the, the one unifying factor that they all had. Even though there were cultural differences, there were differences in their background, there were differences in some of their theological views. Paul writes and, he, and he, he, he begins to remind them that even though those things exist, we unify and we operate around the gospel in order to maintain unity in the church. And I, I felt like that was applicable to point out because I feel like that's going on with us right now in a lot of arenas, right? Everywhere we go, there's hot, but, hot button topics all over, the, all over the culture. Those things have worked their way into the church. You can't pull up social media without seeing it. And I almost guarantee you can't walk to the back of this room without finding it, right? There's, there's differences in, in tertiary issues that, that, that if we would just focus and unify around the gospel and have those conversations, the Lord would begin to illuminate and, and, and unify us around that, that one truth. So with everything being as, as incredibly polarizing as it is right now, 
it's important to understand this context as we go through this and, and look at Christ as, as the true and better Adam that we will see how that's applicable to us even in our time, right? So Paul sees the life of the Roman church. He writes to them to refocus their eyes on the gospel. And like I said, we'll get a little more into that later in the sermon. But we'll jump right into it starting with verse 12. Let me read that for us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So Paul begins this passage by saying that sin entered the world through one man. If you'll rewind with me back to Genesis chapter 1, the verse is going to come up back here. But in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, what's happening at this point is God has created the earth at this point from nothing. A creation has, has happened. He's, he's begun to spun those things into motion. He's created light. He's created the, created the sky. He's created water. He's created vegetation. He's created animals, and he's created all of that stuff simply by speaking it into existence, right? And then once all of that happens, we see in Genesis 1.26, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So with that, with that statement, God breathes life into the crown jewel of his creation at that point. He created Man, he created them male, female. He gave them dominion over everything else that had been created. And he tasked them with one thing, being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth. So, so far, so good, right? That's a pretty good situation that's been created and been set up for man. So we fast forward a little bit in Genesis to chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, which says, The Lord God took the man, he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So for the first time in Scripture, in those verses, we see God give a command. He gives it directly to Adam. And all of us, if you've been around the church at all in any capacity over the years, you know how that turned out. Right, you move into Genesis 3, and Eve is deceived by the serpent, and Adam and Eve both eat from the tree that Adam was commanded not to eat from, and thus sin enters the world. Now, it's important to understand that this action does not create sin. Sin existed at this point. We see it with Satan being cast out of heaven. It's there, but Adam, through his, trans, through his trespass and transgression, opens the doors and allows that to come into the earth, and that brings us to the second half of Romans 5 verse 12 where Paul writes that because of the original sin of Adam, death entered the world and spread to all men because all have sinned. That entrance of sin also brought in death because death is the consequence of sin. And I want to pause here for just a second and point out that we have to be careful with some of this because there's teachings out there on this concept that can get you into some trouble. Right? One, that, one that's prevalent is the belief that sin and death were unleashed by Adam's transgression, but mankind is born with a perfect nature and can choose not to sin, making human perfection attainable. Now, basically what Paul's saying here is that Adam, or basically what this belief is saying is that Adam's sin did not indict future generations of humanity. Right? They're saying that he just set a bad example, and we should try not to follow Adam's example. Now, if we hold to that, what ends up happening is the remainder of Scripture gets, gets clouded by it, right? This is a belief that's known as Pelagianism. It's not a correct interpretation of the text. So Paul means exactly what he says, and he's hammering on this point because he wants the reader to be clear on what he's trying to portray here. Look at how he does it in verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So 
Based on the work that we've done this year through the book of Exodus, we should be somewhat familiar with God's delivery of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai, right? Like that happened, I think, back in June or July, somewhere in there, we went through that. So from the creation of Adam to the delivery of the law to Moses at Sinai, what we see in the scriptural narrative is that people were dying during that time. But yet Paul has told us here that sin is not counted where there is no law. So if sin's not counted prior to the law, how is there already death in the world since death is the consequence of sin? So Paul's pointing out that death was in the world before the law was given. Therefore, sin also existed in the world because without sin there is no death, even though he tells us that sin is not counted where there's no law to violate. So between Adam and the giving of the law, people were dying, even though they were not committing actual individual sins in the willful and knowledgeable defiance of God's revealed law. So how, how could that be? Look at verse 14. He continues to expound. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So death reigned even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. You see, their transgression was different than Adam's transgression because Adam had violated a direct command from God But these folks in between Adam and the law had violated something completely different. Yet they both suffered the same consequences of sin, which was death. Those who died apart from the law died because just like us, their very nature from birth was to rage against the image in which they were created, which we've already, uh, we've already established was the image of God, right? And this is what all of us have battled with since the very second we took our first breath. We are, we're created in the image of God, but like Adam, because of Adam's failings, we do not have the power within us to image God perfectly apart from the intervention of Christ, and neither did they. Therefore, sin was in the earth prior to the law coming to the earth. So that leads us into the second way these scriptures are interpreted and given to us in the second half of verse 14, where Paul says, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. This is known as um, biblical federalism. And as Christians, this is what we hold to, right? This is what we hold to as, as Christians. And what that, what that outlook says is that Adam stood in the garden as God's representative of all mankind and made the same choice any of us would have made had we been standing in his shoes. So when Adam fell, we also fell at the same time. Therefore, our nature was corrupted. R.C. Sproul compares um, this concept of Adam being the federal head of mankind to us having elected representatives in Washington. And he admits that it's, a, it's an imperfect comparison, but yet he, he talks through how we have elected representatives that have priorities, right? They have ways that they vote. And those decisions immediately affect all of their constituents below them, even though we are not part of that process of making these votes and doing the things that that create what goes on in our day-to-day culture. We have very little control over their day-to-day activities. Now, we just finished an election cycle, so what you know is what I know, that in our concept, in this um, this comparison, we, we can vote them in or out of office, right? But once they're there, we can't control them. So like I said, he, he admits that the comparison is not perfect because we had, because in our situation with Adam, we had no control over who God chose as our representative, yet what we do as Christians, because we understand what Scripture speaks to is the character of God, 
God being perfect, God being perfect in character, God not making mistakes and not making errors, we know that we place our hope in that, that a perfect God would choose a perfect representative for us, and that choice would work for our good and his glory, as does everything else that he has spun into motion for us. There's two pieces of that. It doesn't just say... Scripture doesn't just tell us that the decisions that God makes on our behalf in his perfect will only work to our good. It says they work to our good and his glory. And oftentimes, things that happen to us or around us or that we experience that we cannot control, that don't feel in the moment like they're for our good, we have trouble placing our flag there and saying, this is the will of God because we forget that not only does he set those things up to work for our good, they all, he also sets them up to work for his glory. And, in the, and here's the thing. God's, good is not, uh, God's glory is not always, does not always feel like our good. We don't always know what's good for us. right? God does, though, and we hold to that because we know the character of God as it is explained and witnessed to in Scripture. So because of this, Because God knew each and every one of us before we were even thought of, right? God knew our desires. He knew our shortcomings. He knew the good things about us. He knew the bad things about us. So because of this, when we start talking about federalism, we believe that God knew what choice we would have made if we had been placed in the garden in the place of Adam. And God knew that that choice would have been the same choice that Adam made. We would have stood there, we would have had the choice in front of us, and we would have faltered. And if you know yourself at all, you know that that's true. If you understand your, your sinful state apart from the love of Christ that, that saves us and sanctifies us and changes us, you know that you would stand there and make those same decisions that Adam made. Now there's a... <clears throat> There's an element of this concept that may have some of us feeling as though that was unfair for God to do this. And what I want to tell you is, if that's where you're at right now, hang with me. Because we're getting to a point later in this scripture where something else is about to be unfair. But it will be incredibly unfair to our advantage. Right? We're going that direction. So hang with me as we work our way there. See, it's in the understanding of the failing of Adam that causes each of us to be born into this world spiritually dead and bound to a life that ends in physical death because Scripture teaches, as we've already covered, that sin leads to death. Death exists because sin entered the world. That's why that happens. Now, listen, I know that a lot of you have come in and you're like, dude, Corey, you haven't been up there since May, man. Like, um, can you... Can you soften up a little bit? You didn't like put your church clothes on and turn on Tim McDermott this morning to come in and be beaten the head, right? And here's why I set the rest of this up the way that I have. I promise you, first off, that the news is fixing to get better. Fixing to get extremely, extremely better than it is right now. But for me personally, and I think for us, if we apply this, I've long held to the truth that good news is only good news if we understand why it's good. You can't know what's good if you don't also understand what's bad. I, I, I parallel it with the invent of the air conditioner for me. Like I am hot more so than most people. And not like hot in an Instagram way. Like hot in a sweaty way. You know, I sleep. I have my whole life. I've slept with about a 28-inch fan this far from my face. That's how I sleep. It almost cost me my marriage in the first few years of it because my wife hated it. But I still have the fan and I still have the wife. So God is good, right? So, but, but I've long held to that truth that we have to understand the bad part of what's happening inside of us before we can really understand the goodness of the gospel of Christ through the sending of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection that applies to us. 
for, for forgiveness of, of our sins. See, Paul is about to jump into some text that if we understand how bad our situation is, that text leaps off the page. It leaps off the page as the rescue that we understand that we need when we know that we need to be rescued. And he starts it in a way that he does often through most of his letters with a single word that often delivers a breath of fresh air to the reader when they start to feel like they're drowning. It's a very small word, and that word is but. So Paul says this, he explains our condition, he tells us why, and then he says but, moving into verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace that the one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded for many. So in the next few verses, Paul begins to build this contrast between the sin of Adam and the sacrifice of Christ, which delivers justification to all who believe. You see, Paul's already stood Adam up in this text as the federal head of man. He's already explained how sin has delivered condemnation and death for those who follow Adam into life on this earth. And now he begins to stand up what he, what he calls in the, the back half of verse 14, the one who was to come, who would also stand in place as a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sin which separates us from God. Paul tells us that the free gift is not like the trespass, and he's, he's speaking of the free gift as the grace of God given to all who believe through Jesus, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Whereas the trespass of Adam released sin and death into the earth to reign, the free gift of grace through Jesus Christ would abound much more much, much more. While they're similar in how they apply to us, the results of the sin of Adam and the fruit of the grace of God have drastically different implications. The results of sin brought death, right? The results of the grace of God brings abundant eternal life. And Paul didn't teach that the trespass of Adam and the grace of God were equal in power. Look at what he says in 16 and 17. He says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So listen to what he's saying. Paul's telling us that Adam committed one sin, one singular transgression that brought condemnation for all, but through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, countless sins of countless people would be atoned for. If one sin is powerful enough to bring death into the world for everyone that would follow, how much more powerful is the grace that eliminates all sin committed ever? Sins by a guy like me and sins by folks like you, man. Like this is the contrast that Paul's making. The gift is not like the trespass. The gift is much more powerful. You know, some of you guys know me really well. Some of you probably know me too well to the point that you wonder, why do they still give me a microphone in this place? And here's the thing. Like, I've reached a point in my life where my answer to that question is simply, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I am imperfect in a lot of ways outside of the grace of God. I am completely and utterly unqualified to open the word before you and to preach. But here's what I've learned over the years. Here's what I've learned. The grace of God who pursued my heart and called me out of my sin many years ago has always been and will always remain more prevalent and more powerful 
in my life than the sin in the darkest corners of my heart that no one knows about me. And here's the thing. I talk about myself because I don't like to feel like I'm preaching at you. But the reality is that's your truth too. That's your truth. The grace of God in you is so much more powerful and prevalent than even the sins that your closest friends and in a lot of cases maybe even your spouse don't know about. Things that are just there that you hate about yourself that you can't stop. God's grace is stronger than that. And he eliminates all of that for us through the death of Christ. And that's true for all of us who have placed our faith in Christ. You see, in verse 17, Paul says, The one sin of Adam that allowed death to reign, but those of us who receive the grace of God through the gift of righteousness, we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Those of us who have received the grace of God through the gift of righteousness now no longer are reigned over by death. Do these physical bodies, do they die? Of course they do, right? We see that all the time. We see it in every day. But, of course, we continue on with Christ for eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 53 through 55. It says this, For this perishable body must, be put, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? When we place our faith in Christ and we begin to follow and receive the grace that comes from that, death is no longer an end for us, but yet it is the beginning. And in any of us who, who have seeing this play out, know that it's true. I'm, I'm a lucky guy for the most part. I, I never even attended a funeral until I was in my late 20s. I, I'm a guy who had fairly young parents, and because of that, I had fairly young grandparents, and my family's you know, been known for a long time to have legendary genes, so we live for a long time, even though we abuse our bodies constantly. I'm not, not from the healthiest tribe of people, but I'm from a tribe of people that live into their late 90s. I'm rolling the dice on that one. So I'm trying to stay alive, but at the same time, I'm like, I'll take my chances with this one because I've seen some things. But because of that, I was spared. And, of course, I didn't, thank God, haven't experienced any tragedy in my life. So I was spared the experience of death for a big chunk of my life. But in 2011, in my late 20s, the ball started rolling on this with my great-grandmother who passed away at the age of, I think she was like 97 or something. She, that woman had been old as long as I'd been alive. I had no idea. She was never young, ever. In my memory, she looks the same. Just continued on, sitting at her table in her house, chain-smoking cigarettes. I, it, was, it was crazy. She fried everything that she ate. She smoked all the time. She'd been alive for a long time when that was like just what people did in culture, and Nanny wasn't changing for anybody. She was who she was, right? And she lived that long. And Nanny finally, in 2011, she passed away, and in 2015, my grandmother on my mother's side passed away, followed by my grandmother on my dad's side in 19, then my grandmother on my mother's side again in 21, and then her sister, who was my great aunt, and her husband, who was my great uncle, passed away about two parts, or about two months apart from one another earlier this year. So the ball kind of started rolling on that. And I got to, I got to experience, and the reason, I, the reason I, I talk about it fondly is because I can say, thank God, thanks to God's grace, all of these people were strong Strong believers in the Lord, strong believers, like all of them. There are pillars of my family that, that really set up a lot of, a lot of layers for myself and, 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 you know, 
the family that would come after me and even my children and understanding that, that we, we were people, we were people who, who loved the Lord, who sought the Lord, who were taught about the Lord, you know, from the time that we were, we were old enough to, you know, to understand what we were being taught. And, and for me, that was an incredible 10-year 10 10 year swing there where, like, all these pillars of my family, one by one, left the earth, one after another. And I even got the opportunity, and I say it's, at the time it was tragic, but now it's, it's something that I look back on fondly because I really think that it's formed it's formed a lot of really good things in me, but I, I got the opportunity to sit at the bedside with my grandmother on my mom's side as she was passing away. Uh, you talk about a pillar of our family. Like, she was, she was the one, the glue that held everything together, and she loved the Lord, like, tremendously to the point that I stood there as I watched her leave this earth. She left, her, she left the earth with both hands extended into the air, singing hymns, and her last words before she passed away were, oh, he's so beautiful. It's a true story. Like, and I'm not... That guy that like, you know, that was weird to me at the time, but as I've reflected on it, as I've gotten older, or as that, that has passed, I've seen that there's something incredible about that. And as, as each of those people passed away from this earth, I learned something. I learned something that I think Paul's trying to, trying to convey to us here, that, that while a Christian's funeral is a sorrowful time, because those of us who are still here, we will miss being with them physically. We will miss them. But the, the element of a Christian's funeral that is absolutely breathtaking to me is the celebration that greatly outweighs the sorrow. There's a celebratory moment in all of those because it's in those moments that we finally understand and it, it becomes tangible that we experience victory over death through Christ. Like, it's really an incredible thing to experience if you have it. You can feel it when you're there, man. You know it to be true. And, and Paul's telling us that our penalty for sin has been abolished through the work of one man, Jesus Christ. That element has been removed from us. We now have victory over death. Look at verses 18 and 19. It says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And one thing that, that has to be addressed here for clarity's sake is, is the belief that is out there that says since Adam's sin was imputed death to all without choice, does the death of Christ impute salvation to all even without a profession of faith. And there's those that will say that that's true. And in a lot of cases, they'll use Romans 5.18 that we just read as justification for that position. Now, the problem with that for us is, is, is Christians who believe the Bible to be the complete word of God from cover to cover, the problem is that the entirety of Scripture stands in opposition to that view. Look at the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23. It says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did not prophesy in your name. And did we not, sorry, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we see even in Jesus that there is a, a separation where people depart from Christ. And Paul's not silent on the issue either. Even here in this morning's passage, in verse 19, he refers to the many that were made sinners through Adam's transgression, and the many were made righteous through the free gift. You see, Adam's transgression applied to everyone except for one man, Jesus. Right? Jesus was born fully man, fully human, and Adam's transgression did not apply to him. He was sinless, and he was held as the only worthy sacrifice for those of us who couldn't accomplish the same thing. 
And the gift imputed by Jesus is extended to all but won't be accepted by all. So the consequences for this are eternal separation from God. That's what Paul's trying to portray here in these verses. Moving on to verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul circles back here in verse 20 to the conversation that he hit on earlier about the law being given to Moses in Mount Sinai. So I won't spend too much time dealing with the specifics of that, but I will tell you that Ty preached a sermon back in July on Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments. It was, it was really good and covered a lot of the things that, that are applicable here. So if you get some time, go back on the podcast and, and look at that. But the crux of what Paul's saying is this. He tells us that the law came in to increase the trespass. And this was important going back to what we talked about earlier about the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church. Because in a lot of cases, the Jewish folks and the way that they had been raised and the tradition that they had been raised in, even after understanding and accepting and beginning to operate within the parameters of the gospel, they still held a view in Rome at the time that would have been, that would have said that the law was given to counter our sinful impulse. There was even a saying the Jewish folks at the time would say, the more Torah, the more life. Right, so the more law that we get, the more life comes from the law. We know that to be not true in our, in our circumstance and what we know through the reading of the scriptures. What Paul understood and what I want us to understand today is that the law was given by God not to set a set of standards that aids us in achieving salvation with obedience, but rather it was given to us to reveal specific characteristics of our sin and highlight the contrary cravings of our hearts in relation to God's standards. So there is, because of the fall of Adam, there's an innate nature in us that bends us away from that which God commands. It happens if you, if you, I hope that you know that about yourself, that you understand that there's a reason why this is happening to you, why this is continually happening, that you can try as hard as you want to be as good as you want to be, and apart from the intervention of Christ, it doesn't happen. Now, do we progress? Absolutely. That's called sanctification. I can point back to my early 20s and show you things that I struggled with then that I don't struggle with at 40. That's not because I got better. At managing that stuff, it's because the grace of God invaded my life and he began to change my heart. He began to change my desires. He began to tear away at the things inside of me that were not pleasing to him and take them away. And the same's true for you. So in essence, from Adam to Exodus 20, those who sin sinned against God's law in their conscience. But from Exodus 20 on, while we still sin in ways that aren't specified in the law, we also commit willful trespasses against God's stated standards, therefore increasing the trespass. Because now we're trespassing at a different level. The command that Adam had, that he disobeyed, that brought in sin and death, now we have commands, but we're still disobeying, and we're still falling prey to sin and death. Right? So we're violating our conscience, and we're violating the law. That's why Paul says that, that the trespass increased the good news for us is that through the death of Christ, God's grace becomes even larger to cover those intentional sins. It grows even more powerful to, to overcome those things that, that weigh us down. You see, God's law was not given to us to restrict us. It was given to us to point to his power and salvation. 
This is the thing. We do not have an obedience-based righteousness in our life, but we do have an obedience-based righteousness based on the obedience of Christ going to the cross, right? The rest of us, we lean on his finished work in order to be forgiven for our sins and made, uh, made acceptable to, to, to commune with God and to spend eternity with God as we, as we go about our, our lives. So in conclusion, I would say, I would ask the question, what does all of this mean for us? And, and, and this morning, as we enter into the Advent season, my hope for each of us this morning is that we understand while we're leaving that none of us can escape our role in this story. It's really easy to read this stuff and be like, man, they were having a, having a tough time back then, but uh, I got it going on. I was in the building for all 49 Exodus sermons this year, sir, and I understood them all plainly. So move along with your condemnation. But here's the reality. That's not true of any of us. I, I don't, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you feel as though you have achieved for the Lord or for the church or for whatever it is that might be your motivation and your obedience. It doesn't matter. We have a role in this story because we are flawed due to the original sin of Adam. Sometimes we, we look around and we wonder, you know, why does evil exist in the world? We, we, we wonder, you know, do we really understand the true gravity of our helplessness apart from Christ? And unfortunately, for a lot of people, they'll never understand that. Some of us have heard it. Some of us have experienced it. Yet we continue to ride through this life passively, not understanding the will of God and the things that are happening around us all the time. But God wants us to know. He wants us to understand that we have a fallen nature so that his Worship from us might increase when we truly begin to understand what it took to save us, what it took to break us from that, because there's no other response to that truth than worship. It doesn't exist. You don't walk out of here and pat yourself on the back because God did all the work to save you because you are, you are flawed. You are terribly flawed. That's not the way that works. It creates Worship and praise and honor for the God who has done the work for us. And and just as Adam was created and entered a virgin world and brought the curse upon all who would come after him, Jesus entered the world through a virgin and made atonement for all who would receive him, showing himself to be the true and better Adam. And that's, that's the crux of what we're looking at throughout this entire Advent season. So my hope for us as we leave this place is that during the season of Advent, we'll look back, we'll be able to see that baby born so many years ago in a different light, and we would marvel through that at the lengths that God would go to to save someone as wretched as me or to save someone as wretched as, as, as you guys and myself more so than you, I would, I would assume. Hopefully, my, my prayer as we leave here this morning would be that, that those of you who have not given your life to Christ, that you would realize that there's no better time to do that than right now during this Advent season, that I pray for you that the Lord has, would begin the work, he's already begun the work, that he would complete the work that he's done to achieve salvation for you. And for those of us who have, that we have given our life to Christ, but maybe we have found ourselves just passing through and, and, and continuing to allow ourselves to be you know, wrought with unrepentant sin and, and understanding, not understanding the, the importance of, try, of repenting and going to the cross and drinking from that fountain of grace that's readily available for us, that, that we would open our eyes to that truth and we would take advantage of that this morning so we could 
truly experience the, f- the fullness of Christ in our lives, guys. Let me pray for us, and we'll turn back over to Kyle. Lord, we know you're good, God. And, and we just ask right now that you would, you would magnify your goodness, Lord. That the, the various ways in which we struggle, Lord, the various ways in which we fail, that we would begin to look at those things as, as you carving, carving our lives, changing our lives, pruning us, Lord, so that we might look more like you. God, I pray that repentance would always be on the tip of our tongue, that we would wake up daily, God, and the first thing that we would do is go, go to you for the strength that we need for that day. Lord, I ask that as we, as we continue through the next three sermons in this Advent series, God, that you would continue to make the truth of what you did for us on Christmas through the birth of Jesus, God, you would continue to make that truth um, primary in our lives, God. May we not get so sidetracked with the commercialism of the season and the fun and all the things that are involved that we would miss the truth of it, God. Keep it on the front of our minds. Keep it on the tip of our tongue, Lord, that we might, we might know you more and we might understand what it is that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.